0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer, as it is explained in the Heidelberg Catechism. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to the Book of Psalms, Psalm 103, as we read the entire psalm. Let us hear God's holy word. The psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and the place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This ends the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Your friends, a parent has every right to expect his or her child to obey. Children, when mom or dad tell you to do something, you'd better do it. That's what God expects. He expects and demands that you, children, obey your parents at all times. Unless, of course, they require you to do something that that is sinful, which I hope and trust they will never do. Now this stands to reason, imagine a world where children did not obey their parents, but always did their own thing. This would be chaos. And God knows this and therefore he expects children to obey their parents. Well, just as children must obey their parents, so believers must obey God. They must do his will at all times, in all places, and under every circumstance. And they must do it gladly, joyfully, out of love and thankfulness for all that God has done for them in Christ. But this is not always easy. And that's because by nature, we do not want to do the will of God. We want to do our own will and do our own thing. And the Lord knows this. And that's why when he taught his disciples to pray, he also taught them to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. In teaching them to pray this petition, our Lord is acknowledging that we need help in this, help that can only come from our gracious Father in heaven. Now, this is the last petition of the Lord's Prayer relating to God. So far, we have prayed for the hallowing of God's name and the coming of his kingdom. From this point forward, we will pray for ourselves, for our daily bread, the forgiveness of sins, and grace to avoid temptation. And as such, this petition is sometimes called the hinge on which the whole prayer turns. And that's because if we hallow God's name, we will also pray for the coming of his kingdom and the accomplishment of his will. And if we pray for the accomplishment of God's will, then we will also pray for our daily bread, the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from temptation. So with this in mind and God's help, let's consider this petition under the theme Praying for the Accomplishment of God's Will. And we'll see that this is, first of all, a mysterious prayer. Secondly, it is a humbling prayer. And thirdly, it is a challenging prayer. In the third petition, we are instructed to pray, Your will be done. Now, the reference here, of course, is to the will of God, specifically the will of God the Father. Yes, God has a will. And that simply means he has the ability to choose what he desires to do. Now, as a rational creature, man also has a will. But as we'll see in a moment, man's will is fallen and corrupt, but not God's will. God is perfect and holy. And that means his will is also perfect and holy. Now, when we speak of the will of God, we normally distinguish between his secret will and his revealed will, or his will of decree and his will of command. That distinction is based on Deuteronomy twenty-nine verse 29 where we read these words the secret things belong unto the Lord our God but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law and so Moses tells us here that there are in God secret things and revealed things and we refer to this as already mentioned as the revealed and the secret will of God These are not two separate wills, as though the one could contradict the other, for God has only one will, but rather two aspects of the same will, like two sides of the same coin. The secret will of God, also called his will of decree, is the will of God that has not been revealed to man. It is known only to God. Think, for example, of God's decree of election. The Bible teaches that from all eternity, God sovereignly chose whom he would save. Now, we don't know who they are. Only God knows this because this is part of his secret will or his will of decree. The revealed will of God, also called his will of command, is the will of God that has been revealed to man. And how has it been revealed? How do we know The revealed will of God well we know this from the holy scriptures the scriptures contain the complete will of God for man this is very important sometimes people say I wish I knew the will of God for my life well my friends it's not that difficult to figure out just read the scriptures the scriptures contain all we need to know about the will of God now to be sure they're not going to tell us what is the will of God in every specific situation but they will give us some basic principles by which we may be able to discern the will of God. So what is God's will? Well, that depends on our spiritual state before God. If you're not saved, God's will for you is to be saved. And that's why he calls out to us in his holy word. He does this in so many verses. I think of Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Or I think of verse 3, the same chapter. Incline your ear, and come to me here, and your soul shall live. Or I think of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In all of these verses, God sincerely and lovingly invites sinners to come to him for salvation. In fact, this is his will and desire. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter writes, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will is that all men might come to him and be saved. Now someone might say, but does God not also decree to damn the wicked and the unbelieving? And if that is so, how then can we say that he sincerely desires the salvation of all men? Well, we can't answer that question nor should we try the fact is both are true and therefore both must be proclaimed and believed but dear friend if you are saved then god's will for you is that you become sanctified this is what paul writes in first thessalonians 4 verse 3 for this is the will of god your sanctification now what does it mean to become sanctified well to sanctify means to make holy god wants you to become more and more holy he wants you to flee from sin. He wants you to put it to death in your life and strive to live in obedience to the commandments of God, to the glory of God. Now, to be sure, we'll never become perfectly holy in this life. We will not be perfectly holy until the life to come. But we must strive for this. And if we don't strive for this, then we're not doing the will of God. And so when we pray this petition, we're asking God to fulfill his own will. There's something mysterious about that. And that's because whatever God wills comes to pass. In Psalm 135, verse 6, the psalmist writes, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. And in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, the Lord declares, As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, God says, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So the scriptures are clear. God will do whatever he decrees. Well, you say, if that is so, then why must we pray this petition? Isn't it a foregone conclusion that God is going to do His own will. Well, the reason why we pray this is that it pleases God to accomplish his will through the prayers of his people. Think, for example, of Elijah. In James 5, verse 17 and 18, we read that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then we read, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So God decreed that it would not rain for three years, but he fulfilled this decree through the prayers of Elijah. And so the point is, God will bring to pass whatever he has decreed. That is absolutely sure. But he is pleased to use our prayers that end and so we're reminded here how important it is to pray if we don't pray as jesus said we will not receive if we do not pray for god's will to be done then it won't and so this petition contains a great mystery but it is also a very humbling prayer and that brings us to our second point When we pray your will be done, we are confessing something about ourselves, aren't we? We're confessing that by nature we cannot and will not do the will of God. If we could do the will of God, then we wouldn't have to pray this petition. So this begs the question, why can't or why won't we do the will of God? And the answer is very simple because by nature we are dead we're dead in trespasses and sins and our hearts are full of enmity towards god now we weren't always like this in the beginning man's will was in perfect harmony in perfect sync with the will of god man loved what god loved and hated what god hated but when adam fell into sin that changed completely Now, our will is opposed to God's will. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do that which is sinful and displeasing to the Lord. And that means, in order to do the will of God, we need God's grace. Specifically, we need God to give us a new nature. A nature that desires to please God and to live for Him. We need to be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, by the Word and the Spirit of God. But even after we've been born again, our wills are not always perfectly in line with the will of God. And that's because our nature, though renewed, is still sinful. And as a result, we continue to do that which is not according to to the will of god the apostle paul speaks of that very thing in romans chapter 7 and there he speaks of these two laws at war within his soul by the one law his renewed nature he wants to do that which is pleasing to the lord but by the other law by his unrenewed nature he wants to do that which is displeasing to the lord and as he says at the end of the chapter This creates such a tension within him that he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? A good example of this is King David. David, we're told in the Old Testament, was a man after God's own heart. And yet this same man, when he saw Bathsheba, lusted after her, had relations with her, and then arranged for the murder of her husband. Now, how can we explain this? Well, although David was a child of God, he still had a sinful nature. But to be sure, the fact that he had a sinful nature did not excuse him for his sin. And We know that because God took away the life of Bathsheba's child after only seven days as punishment for their sin but it does help us to understand why David did what he did and how he could have fallen into sin so deeply. The point is, doing the will of God will always be a struggle in this life, and our Lord knows that. And this is precisely why he teaches us to pray this petition. Now, what are we asking for in this petition? The Heidelberg Catechism explains this in lord's day 49. there the question is asked which is the third petition and the answer is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and then comes the explanation that is grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will which is only good and so we confess here that when we pray this petition we're asking God for grace to do two things. First of all, we're asking him to give us the grace to renounce or to reject or abandon our own will, and that's because our will is sinful. And secondly, we're asking him for grace to obey God's will, which is only good. Now, how humbling that is. Do you see how this petition condemns us? It teaches us that by nature, we are rebels against God. We hate Him, and we want to have nothing to do with Him, and we will not do His will, not even after we've been born again. Even though God is so good to us, even though He provides for us, even though He sent His Son to die for us, we are utterly dependent upon His grace. Oh, my friend, have you come to see that for yourself personally? Have you come to see that apart from God's grace, you will not and cannot do the will of God? This is why we need to pray this petition every single day. For by praying this petition, we're asking God to give us the grace we need to do what he wants us to do. And so this petition is a humble petition, but it's also... A challenging petition and that brings us to our third and final point in this petition we ask God for grace to do his will and You notice the emphasis on the word do here it's not simply enough to know the will of God we must actually do it the Puritan Thomas Watson writes this and I quote knowledge is the pillar of fire to give light to practice But though knowledge is requisite, yet the knowledge of God's will is not enough without doing it. Knowing God's will may make a man admired, but it is doing it that makes him blessed. It's not enough to know the will of God, we must also do it. But even that, it's not just enough to do the will of God. Our catechism says we must do his will as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. A reference here is made to the angels. What are angels? Angels are spiritual beings created by God to glorify him and to do his bidding. Now, we don't know an awful lot about the angels what we do know is that they are very obedient. And we're talking here, of course, about the good angels, not the fallen angels. And this is clearly expressed in Psalm 103, which we read earlier in verses 20 and 21. We read these words, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. And notice what the psalmist says about these angels. He says they do his word. They heed the voice of his word. They do his pleasure. Angels do whatever God tells them to do. And what is more, a catechism says they do so willingly. That means they don't have to be bribed or coerced or forced, nor do they have lay down any conditions. They do everything that God commands of them with a willing heart. They also do it faithfully. That means without compromise, without cutting corners, or with any kind of alteration. They do the will of God fully and completely. Now, isn't that true? When God commanded an angel to go and guard the way to the tree of life, what did he do? Well, he did exactly as he was told. When God commanded two angels to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do? They did exactly as they were told. When God commanded Gabriel to announce to Mary that she would have a son, what did he do? He did exactly as he was told. When God commanded an angel to release Peter out of jail, what did he do? He did exactly as he was told. None of these angels asked any questions. None of them raised any objections. They simply did what God commanded them to do. And they did it willingly. And faithfully without murmuring and without complaining now the Heidelberg Catechism says this is how we must do the will of God we must do the will of God as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven well let me ask you today are you doing that if the Lord says do this do you do it and if he says don't do that Do you not do it? Friends, this is a mark of a true Christian. A true Christian obeys God in everything. He does the will of God as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. In fact, this is his daily prayer. Lord, give me grace that I may do your will in everything. Now, maybe you say, well, who can possibly do this? Well, we can't at least not in and of ourselves. We fail in this time and time and time again, as we've seen. And that's because we still have this sinful nature of ours. But listen, there's one who did do this, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He did what we can never do and what we will never do. He obeyed the will of God absolutely perfectly. Long before he became incarnate, he declared in Psalm 40, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Christ, in his pre incarnate state, said, It is my delight to do your will, O God. After his encounter with the woman at the well, when his disciples asked each other if anyone had brought him anything to eat you remember what he said he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work doing the will of god meant more to him than eating and drinking to his disciples he said i came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me and he did For what was the Father's will? The Father's will was that he should suffer and die for the sins of his people. That was quite astounding. And the closer the time came, the more our Lord felt the weight of what he was called to do, so much so that the night he was betrayed, he prayed to his Father, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He asked the Father, that if there's any other way that he could avoid what awaited him, to please let him do it. But we know there was no other way, and our Lord himself knew it. And this is why he added these words, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Our Lord knew that he had to do the will of his Father, even though it meant suffering and death and humiliation. But he was willing to do it because this was his Father's will. And what is true for Christ ought also to be true for the believer because he has been united to Christ. Christ is his head. And as believers, we are members of his body. And that means that his will should be our will. And whatever he commands, we must do, even if it causes us pain. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the name Betty Scott Stamm. Betty Scott Stamm and her husband were missionaries in China during the communist purges of the 1960s. One day, Betty and her husband were captured by the communists. They were stripped half-naked and marched in chains through the streets of their village. Betty was forced to watch as her husband had his head cut off. And Then she herself was beheaded. Many years before this, she wrote the following prayer. It goes like this. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt and work out thy whole will in my life at any cost now and forever. Well, the Lord answered her prayer, although not in the way she might have predicted or even wanted. And now she's in heaven forever praising her Savior. Are you submitting to God like that? Amen.